This is Christian Questions. Jackson Burnett once said, Justice isn't about fixing the past. It's about healing the past's future. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Christian Questions Talk Radio with a Purpose with Jonathan and Rick. This isn't your typical Christian commentary. We love talking with our audience and promise to never talk at you like so many talk shows do today. This is a conversation about biblical topics as we look at them from a different perspective. That perspective is based on godly principles, family values, honest dialogue, all in a politically free zone. Jonathan, the best part is this. We talk and you listen, and then you talk and we listen. You can also contact us at our website, ChristianQuestions.com. I'm Rick. And I'm Jonathan. And we're glad you've chosen to spend some time with us on this fine Sunday morning. And Jonathan, what is up for this morning? What's the topic? Well, Rick, our question is, are most people really hellbound? Part 2. Part 2. And our theme text is found in Genesis chapter 18, verse 25. Shall not the judge of all the earth deal justly? Boy, is that a great question. Boy, is that a great question. And Jonathan, five weeks ago, we began a discussion on the highly controversial topic of hellfire and the Bible and whether or not these two belong together. We based that conversation on a 2012 documentary entitled Hellbound, written by and produced by Kevin Miller. Kevin joined us for that discussion as we mainly focused on the Old Testament and non-biblical history. Well, he's back. Yes. <laughs> Kevin is back with us uh, for this very important follow-up as we reopen the book on hell. And the very, very piercing question, are most people hellbound? And before we get uh, Kevin on the air, I just want to give you a little bit of an introduction. Jonathan, Just uh, who, who is this guy, Kevin Miller? Well, Kevin is an award-winning screenwriter, director, and producer who has applied his craft to numerous documentaries. Feature films and shorts, uh, recent projects include Hellbound, Drop Gun, No Saints for Sinners, Spoiled, Sex Plus Money, With God on Our Side, Expelled, No Intelligence Allowed, and After. In addition to his work in film, Miller has written, co-written and edited over 40 books. He lives in Abbotsford, British Columbia, Canada, with his wife and four children. Kevin, good morning. Good to have you with us again. Hey, good morning. Great to be here again. And uh, we are excited that you are willing to get up at 4 o'clock in the morning, your time to join us. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> ouch. That's all I've got to say is ouch. But uh, it is really, really great to have you back. And obviously we're going to be talking about the, your documentary along with a, a scriptural look on hell and what it means and how it works and all of those those working uh, working pieces. Before we get started with the conversation, though, I do want to play uh, just the first – there's an official trailer for Hellbound, the documentary, that uh, I want to just put the audio out, out there, folks, so you get a sense on, on, on what it sounds like, and then we're going to have Kevin sort of give an overview of the documentary itself. So let's listen to this. If you have a paradigm that doesn't allow you to ask questions, there's something wrong with the paradigm. And inside the traditional paradigm of Dante's Hell, Inferno, you're not allowed to ask all kinds of questions. It's not a problem to ask questions, but sometimes when certain questions are asked, it's by someone who's a coward and doesn't have the 
conviction to declare their answer? The notion that there really isn't hell is simply a wussy effort to make God a nice guy. Can anyone really believe that Hitler's had a second chance? I don't think so. So ultimately, the panoply of Scripture is pointing to one thing, and that is either reconciliation with God or separation from God. All right, so uh, Kevin, there is a uh, the, the the first part of your official um, trailer for for Hellbound, and, and just I, I know you went over these things several weeks ago, but give us a, a sense on why did you choose this particular project, and just a little bit of the, of the background getting it set up. Well, I you know I'm not sure if I can say that I really chose the product, project or the project chose me. I think that <clears throat> on a personal level, uh, the idea of hell as a place of eternal torment has always been difficult for me to reconcile with the idea of, God, of a God who's loving. I think a lot of Christians struggle with this, and we all deal with it in different ways. My way of dealing with it was to uh, make a film that would enable me to really dig deep into this issue and to examine it from a variety of perspectives. And so that's what I sought to do was, was to look at the three main family of, families of views, the eternal torment, annihilationism or conditional immortality and universalism and interview people from across the spectrum as well as people who don't believe in hell or even Christianity at all to help understand how these doctrines once they are put out into the world how are they being interpreted from people you know by people within the faith and people outside of the faith because really the purpose for me was was you know very much a personal journey uh, to try and come to terms with this issue but also to make a film that would really provoke some informed discussion for others. And I think that that really, to me, is the absolute key of the matter. And uh, in, in at some point, we, we had talked about this, the idea that, okay, you have such a critically important doctrine, the doctrine of what happens to you afterwards. And, you know, for those who believe in, in hellfire, it's obviously, you know, they, they, there's a, a predetermined uh, end. But the willingness to talk about it, the willingness to put it on the table and say, okay, you see it that way, I see it this way, let's put our thoughts on the table and actually have a conversation. See, that is what's missing in so much of, of Christian dialogue today, and you're doing this creates the environment in which this subject can be put on the table. So I really appreciate that aspect of it. Uh, I've watched your documentary, I don't know, four or five times now in, in getting ready for the two programs. And every time I watch it, I, I, I come away from it saying, oh, man, this is really, really good because it asks lots and lots of questions. So before we get started, uh, Kevin, um, it, it was out in theaters for a while, and it's now due to be released on DVD. Is that correct? That's right. We're in theaters, uh, I think, until February, and we're coming out on DVD and also video on demand uh, May 28th, and so we're already accepting uh, pre-orders on the DVD, and also you can pre-order it on iTunes as well. Okay, so pre-orders and the website to pre-order the DVD, and folks, listen, I, I truly believe that every Christian household should have this DVD in your possession so that... It is there to create a, a uh, an environment for asking the question. So, so Kevin, what is the the website for that? Uh, the website is hellboundthemovie.com. That's hellboundthemovie.com. You can go and order the DVD there, and you'll find a link to where you can order it on iTunes as well. Okay, and folks, for Christian Questions listeners, Kevin was kind enough to uh, set up a, a a discount for those listening to Christian Questions. And what and what do folks have to do to get that discount when they go to order their DVD? 
Okay, yes. Um, we actually have a, an, another uh, web store. If you go to our web store, it's uh, on Store Envy. I'm uh, just going to have to pull up the URL, but we do have a discount code for listeners that will enable them to uh, to uh, get a discount on the DVD. Sorry, I'm just pulling up that URL. But we'll, I'll, I'll give it to you uh, in a few moments. All right, uh, it's hell, hellbound.storeenvy.com forward slash is, is what you said. That's right, that's right. Okay, so hellbound.storeenvy.com dot com forward slash and the discount code is Christian Questions. So uh, if you'd like to pre-order that uh, ahead of time, ahead of the May 28th release, you can do so. And up until May 28th, you can get that uh, discount for Christian Questions listeners by putting Christian Questions in the uh, promo code box there. So thanks for that. And no let, let's let's get this started just from a scriptural standpoint, uh, just to, to get the ball rolling here. Last program, Jonathan, we talked, uh, it was five weeks ago, and we spent most of our time in the Old Testament. That's right. And we were looking at the Old Testament and, and the Old Testament and history and how those things work together with or without the concept of hell, whether it's burning or not. And really in the Old Testament, there's, there, 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 there isn't anything. Right. So there are actually two different, entirely different words in the Bible that are translated hell. And that might be something that is um, a little confusing t- for folks because if, if it just says hell, you think it's all the same. You're right. But it's really not. So let's just touch on those, those words here quickly in the next couple of minutes. In the Old Testament, there's a word that's translated hell. What's the word? Sheol. Okay, and a lot of people are familiar with that because some Bible translations now, rather than translate the word... We'll just put the Hebrew or Greek word in there. Oh, okay. okay. So, Sheol is the word in, in, in the Old Testament. Now, let's just read a couple of scriptures that use this, because it, these couple of scriptures display a pattern of how this works. The wicked shall be turned into hell, and all the nations that forget God. So, you read that scripture, and what's your sense about hell? It's like, oh, okay. Trouble. That, that's the place <laughs> the bad guys go. That's what it sounds like. Okay, well, and, and that's true. Mm-hmm. However, now read Job fourteen thirteen. Oh, that thou wouldst hide me in the grave. Okay, stop right there for a second. Okay, the word for grave is the exact same Hebrew word. Sheol. So, oh, that thou wouldst hide me in Sheol. The exact same word. So now start again with that in mind. Okay. And, and replace Sheol with the word grave. Okay. Oh, that thou wouldst hide me in the grave, that thou wouldst keep me secret until thy wrath be passed that thou wouldst appoint me a set time and remember me. So there, Job is praying... To go to the grave. To the grave. Praying to go to Sheol, the same place that Psalm 917 said, all the wicked go. Into the grave. Yeah. Now, yep. now, now, now Kevin, I just have to ask you just real quickly here. Did you come across anybody uh, or in, in, your, in your research and in your discussions on gathering information that they sort of put... At least begin to put this part into perspective from a scriptural standpoint. Yeah, definitely. We talk about this in uh, in the movie Hellbound. We talk about Sheol and and its function in the Old Testament and how yeah, it essentially can be translated as the pit or the grave or, or what have you. But it, I would say it's the functional equivalent of of uh, the Greek term Hades, which is again the the place that everyone will end up. Now, there's better and worse places in Hades to be, but but it, it's it's basically the realm typically under the earth is is the way I think it would have been viewed by an ancient mind and uh, literally under the earth where all the uh, where the dead go. All right, so under the earth gives us a sense of the grave. Yes, literally buried in in the grave. So again, in 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 the documentary Hellbound, uh, it gives you 
it touches on that in, in a big way to help put it all in perspective. And and Jonathan just will really quickly read one scripture from from the New Testament in Matthew sixteen eighteen that does use the word for for Hades. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The gates of Hades. Hades. So you've got Sheol in the Old Testament and Hades in the New Testament. Now the other connection that's important to make here before we close out this first segment is, are those two meaning exactly the same thing? How do we know that Sheol from the Old Testament is in fact the same as Hades from the New Testament? And there's a really easy way to figure that out. There is. And that is to read an Old Testament verse that's quoted in the New Testament. And, and there you go. And it's, gonna, it's just going to automatically tell you. That's so let, cool. Let, let's do that. Psalm 16.10. Because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. So, you will not abandon me to Sheol. Sheol. That's Psalm 16.10. That's that same word. Acts 2.27. Because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. It's quoting exactly the Old Testament. Hades. So it's using Hades as an exact uh, reference to Sheol. And that proves to us, from a biblical standpoint, that those two words are, in fact, exactly the same. Folks, we are talking about hell and hellfire. And does hellfire actually belong in the Bible? We're going to be spending most of our time this morning uh, in the New Testament. We have our special guest, Kevin Miller, who is the writer and producer of the documentary, Hellbound, and uh, it will be released on DVD uh, May 28th. Uh, you can pre-order it uh, from hellbound.storeenvy.com forward slash, and if you type in Christian Questions in the discount code box, you can get a discount on that in terms of shipping. So lots of great stuff going on. Kevin's going to be with us for the two hours. We've got a lot to talk about. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick with our special guest, Kevin Miller, and our subject, Are Most People Really Hellbound? Coming up, the other hell in the Bible. Does it describe the eternal torment that so many believe? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. Welcome back. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick with our special guest, Kevin Miller, the producer of the documentary Hellbound. And our we're, we're here on Sundays from 7 to 9. We're glad you're joining us. And if you have a thought on our subject, give us a call at 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-4ALL. We're live Sunday mornings, and we're looking forward to more uh, from Kevin Miller on the subject, Are Most People Really Hellbound? And uh, as we continue with this subject, Jonathan, in, in the last segment, uh, we were talking to Kevin about the documentary itself. But looking at, at, at the scriptures and saying, okay, there, there's, there's really two different, entirely different groups of words that, that are translated hell. One, essentially, is the grave. Mm-hmm. The other is this word Gehenna, which we're going to get into and spend this, com- this complete segment on. So what is Gehenna? Gehenna literally, in Greek, means Valley of Hinnom. In the time of Jesus, the Valley of Hinnom was used as a garbage dump of Jerusalem. Into it were thrown all the filth and garbage of the city, including the dead bodies of animals and executed criminals. To consume all this, fires burned constantly. Maggots worked in the filth. When the wind blew from the direction over the city, its awfulness 
was quite evident. And that does give you quite a, a, a visual in terms of what happened there and, and the smell. I, it, just, it just did not smell very good there. So, uh, Kevin. Can I, can I jump in there? Yes, um, you can. There, there is some dispute in terms of the garbage dump theory. Like, not everyone necessarily adheres to that. I think that um, that's, a, that's definitely a possibility. But I, I think that in terms of some of the, the connections, the negative connotations that uh, the Valley of Gehenna has, it, I think it goes back to some of the things that occurred there. Um, you know, particularly, say, you know, during the time of uh, Jeremiah. Yeah, and actually we're going to touch on a little bit of that. We spent some time on that the last program that was about five weeks ago. But you're right, the, a lot of the negative connotations scripturally come from the fact of, the, the, uh, of Jewish history back then. So you're, you're entirely right about that. Now, Kevin, th- your thoughts on, on the role that history plays in the biblical understanding and the context. When you were putting the documentary together, were there any historical things that you came across that you thought, wow, that's surprising? Well, yeah, I, I think that this is one of the struggles we face. Um, uh, you know, it's difficult to sit down with any ancient documents and read them and understand what they're saying if you don't have a knowledge of the historical context. So sit down and try and read Shakespeare, which is much more recent than the scriptures, you know, or sit down and try and read Plato's Republic or any ancient document. And you're, unless you know the context, you're going to miss most of what's being said or referenced. And so I think that when it comes to any, you know, biblical text or any biblical term, having as full an understanding as possible is so important. And so when we look at a term like Gehenna, understanding, well, you know, why does this word suddenly become the only word that Jesus uses, um, you know, quote-unquote, for hell, or or talking about punishment, while understanding the history of that word. Um, and one of the things that really surprised me was um, that there was a tradition within um, some of the Jewish writings that, um, that predated Jesus that talked about Gehenna, and it it become a place of punishment or destruction of the wicked, but um, even those who believed in it, believe that the maximum amount of time that a sinner would spend in Gehenna would be one year, except for five people. There would be five people who would be there for all eternity. Five, huh? <laughs> does anybody, five lucky people. Does anybody know I'm who those really five sure were? Why, but, that was, but it's interesting that, um, that this idea that comes up, it, there wasn't a sense that, that even though um, Gehenna had been associated with a place of punishment, that there was a limit on it, that it was meant to basically be almost like a purgatory place where people needed to atone for their sins. Well, and that's interesting because in our last program we talked about how history uh, essentially corrupted Jewish thinking. And so when you say it came from a Jewish perspective, it's not surprising at all because we saw uh, uh, ancient Egyptian mythology that actually put all of this into, into place long, long, long before and how things were adopted as different peoples lived alongside of other peoples and, and sort of things uh, got corrupted. And, and we'll, we're going to be developing that uh, shortly. Let's Let's go to, uh, folks, we're going to play just a a short uh, description from the documentary. This is Josephus, uh, the historian, describing the destruction of Jerusalem, because that gives you a sense of the kind of carnage that the actual picture of Gehenna is showing. Now, it wasn't, the Gehenna wasn't based on that because the destruction of Jerusalem came afterwards, but it gives you a vivid picture of what kinds of things were looked upon and what the world was like in terms of war and, and things like that back then. The slaughter within was even more dreadful than the spectacle from without. 
Men and women, old and young, insurgents and priests, were hewn down in indiscriminate carnage. As soon as the army had no more people to slay or to plunder, Titus gave orders that they should demolish the entire city and temple. There was nothing left to make those that came thither believe Jerusalem had ever been inhabited. Titus Flavius Josephus, The Wars of the Jews. Man, that just that's scary. That is. And we're not used to that. We in in our world are not used to that. So what Kevin was saying before Jonathan about uh, you know putting things in historical context, that gives you a sense of historical context. It does. Uh and 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 the amazing amount of carnage uh, as a result of war that we get we get we get really bent out of shape out of something that's that's you know less than 1% of that uh but the, the world back then was so different folks if you have a thought it's 866-985-4255 toll free 866-985-4 all we are live sunday mornings from 7 to 9 and that means we're on right now and our website christianquestions.com and we have something special to offer, don't we, Rick? Yeah, we do. We, you know, we talked about uh, Kevin's uh, DVD, Hellbound, uh, coming out uh, May 28th, and how you can actually pre-order it at hellbound.storeenvy.com, uh, and a little forward slash after that. And if you put in a Christian questions in the promo code box, you can uh, get uh, free shipping. But what's happened, Jonathan, in between is is Kevin was kind enough to send us. 10 DVDs ahead of time before the release. Wow. So we have them sitting here with us at the studio, and folks were willing to give away uh, those 10 DVDs to uh, the, the folks who call in and ask for one. So you can call in and make a comment. You can call in and make a comment and ask for a free DVD. Just give our call screener your name and your address, and we will get these mailed out to you next week. Kevin, we really appreciate you sending them out to us ahead of time. Hey, you're welcome. It was a kind of a cool thing to be, you know, hey, everybody else can get it May 28th, but you can get it right here, right now. <laughs> <laughs> so, again, folks, it's 866-985-4255, toll free, 866-985-4ALL. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9. And, again, if you'd like a free DVD, Hellbound, it's a, it's a, it, it's a great program. It's about an hour, 25-minute documentary. Every Christian household should have this documentary. I really believe that. So um, we're excited to offer that. So, so Jonathan, let, let's let's kind of plow into this Gehenna thing. And we were talking about it, and Kevin gave us a little bit of uh, historical background on that. But let's look at, uh, there, there's, it's mentioned maybe six or seven times in the New Testament. We're not going to read the verses in the interest of time, but Matthew 5.22, Matthew 10.28, and Matthew 23.15 are three verses that, that use that word Gehenna. And the law be in CQ Rewind, the full edition, right, at right. our website, ChristianQuestions.com. And it's interesting how it's translated, especially in the King James Version, hellfire, mm-hmm. okay, in, in, in so many cases. Now, let's take a look at one of the verses that folks who believe in the eternal torment factor, and, you know, I keep saying that because we don't. Right. We don't believe that that is a biblical teaching, uh, but folks who do believe in it, and this is, this is an environment, folks, that we'd like to talk about it, and we want to put it on the table, and, and if you do disagree with our perspective, certainly call in and let us know why at 866 985 Four two five five. Again, that's toll free eight six six nine eight five four. All. Uh, let us know your your perspective. We will listen uh, as long as everybody is respectful. We're good with it. That's right. Uh, but Ma- Mark chapter nine verses forty three to forty eight are are some of those verses that you're reading. You go, ooh, this this doesn't sound good at all. And if thy hand offend thee, cut it off. 
It is better for thee to enter life into life maimed than having two hands to go into hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched, where their worm doth not, and the fire is not quenched. So that does, already, Jonathan, you're looking at this and saying it's talking about unquenchable fire. Yes, and worms that don't die. Yes, and you're thinking this is this is pretty this is pretty gross. Let's continue. And if thy foot offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter half into life than having two feet to be cast into hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched, where their worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. And if thine eye offend thee, pluck it out. It is better for thee to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire. Where the worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. So, Jesus is not only saying it, he's repeating himself. He is. So, in this particular context, it's, it's repeating himself three times about this fire that shall not be, be quenched. Now, uh, Kevin, Kevin, any, any thoughts on, on this particular set of scriptures? Yeah, well, a couple of things. I mean, again, we have to remember that um, when we say Jesus repeated him three times, we're, we're actually saying that the author of Mark is choosing to have Jesus repeat this several times. I mean, this is, you know, there's a, there's a gospel author that's, that's really coming, you know, into the picture here as well. But I, I think that, you know, when it comes to um, uh, these types of verses, these are the ones that will often be used by folks who believe in um, a certain form of hell, uh, particularly eternal torment. And and I think that it's so problematic for me going back to the King James, and I don't know enough about the history of the King James translation to know why they would uh, use the term hell rather than the term Gehenna, but I think that's one of the problematic pictures here, because we even run into a contradiction um, with what Jesus is saying. You know, Jesus is saying the fire shall never be quenched. Um, um, it doesn't mean um, within the uh, Hebrew understanding of Gehenna at the time Nobody would go there eternally. They would be there maximum for one year. So even though the fire may be eternal or last forever, um, it doesn't mean that people are going to be there forever. So even within the framework of understanding that he's working. Um, but again, what he's using here, of course, is tremendous hyperbole, which is very common, right, right. a common uh, tactic used by Jesus to, to emphasize or make a point. And I think that, you know, this is really something we miss when it comes to um, a Hebrew way of thinking as a whole is that there is a lot of hyperbole and all sorts of colorful imagery that's used to make a point. Um, and so I think we make a huge mistake when we turn around and take this literally because as many people have pointed out, you know, you don't find too many denominations that promote, you know, that are the one-eyed, one-handed Christian denomination exactly. because nobody's taking that part literally. But then they want to turn around and take hell or um, this idea of unquenchable fire in a literal sense. So to me, um, you know, people are already beginning to pick and choose. And so the question is, what is the standard or what is the basis that you're using to make those choices? And I think that's the thing that needs to be examined as opposed to some particular interpretation, because what really gives rise to that interpretation? That's the bigger question. Yeah, and, and this that's, you raised an interesting question about the history of the King James Version. At some point, Jonathan, we're going to do a program on that. Yes. Because several of our listeners have asked us about you know, versions and so forth. So, um, but, but here's the thing. What gives rise to the picture is the Old Testament. That's what gives rise to the picture. And if you understand where Jesus is drawing it from, he is not talking about a place of torment and torture. He's talking about destruction. And how, why do we say that with confidence? Because if we look at Isaiah 66, 22 to 24, this really puts things in perspective. Now remember, this is the Old Testament 
picture, and Jesus is actually quoting from here. So let's read through this. For just as the new heavens and the new earth which I make will endure before me, declares the Lord, so your offspring and your name will endure, and it shall be from new moon to new moon and from Sabbath to Sabbath. All mankind will come to bow down before me, says the Lord. Okay, so so first of all, that's obviously in a future time. Because yeah, all point. mankind has not come down to bow down before God yet. Right. All right? So now, though, the next part is where Jesus is actually quoting uh, the the Old Testament to make his his point, and here's what he said, or here's what he's quoting in in Isaiah sixty six twenty four. Then they will go forth and look on the corpses of men who have transgressed against me. Okay, so what are they looking at? The corpses. 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 Dead bodies. Yes. All right. Because we want to put it in its context. How? What does the picture represent? Well, if you look at the context that's being quoted, you get all the answers. For their worm will not die, and their fire will not be quenched. Okay, so so he's talking about worms not dying and fire not being quenched in the context of corpses. Corpses, yes. And they will be an abhorrence to all mankind. And that puts things into a much brighter light in terms of understanding what this idea was. This was a reference to what Kevin was talking about in Jeremiah, the Valley of Hinnom, where... Originally, the, the Valley of Hinnom got its, its reputation because Jews, unfortunately, were sacrificing their children to Moloch. Uh, you know, bur- unbelievable. Burning them live in, in fire. And what God said is, this is an abhorrence to me. This should not be. And he said, nobody should ever live there anymore. And this is where refuse will go. So, and that the fires were there to consume the refuse the corpses and so forth that were there. So So there was nothing alive thrown in there. Right. Folks, if you'd like a free DVD of Hellbound, we are giving a few of them away. Call us at 866-985-4255. Toll free, 866-985-4ALL. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9. That means we're on right now. And we we only have a limited number available, and we can also get your comments on the program as we uh, wrap up this segment. We're talking about hell, we're talking about fire, and we're talking with our special guest, Kevin Miller. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick with our special guest, Kevin Miller. Our subject, Are Most People Really Hellbound? Coming up, about the rich man and Lazarus. This proves hellfire, doesn't it? Or does it? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. Welcome back. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick with our special guest, Kevin Miller. And our subject this morning, Are Most People Really Hellbound? To be a part of our program, call toll-free 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-4ALL. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9. That means we're on right now on our website, ChristianQuestions.com. All right, and we have Kevin Miller uh, with us. Uh, he is calling in from British Columbia, Canada. So it's really early in the morning out there. Uh, he is the producer of the documentary Hellbound. And, folks, uh, we are, we do have uh, a few copies of the DVD Hellbound uh, available to give to you if you call in and ask for one. Uh, we'd also like to get your comments while you're at it. And, again, the number is 866-985-4255, 866 866- Nine eight five four all. Give us a call. Talk to our screener, and she can take down your information, and we'll get those out to you this coming week. So, 
Jonathan, at the la- end of the last segment, you talked, you mentioned the rich man and Lazarus. That's right. The, the, the story in the New Testament. So now, Kevin, as we get to that, uh, before we get to that story particularly, it's another question for you. While you were doing your, your uh, research and so forth, were there noticeable differences in the people who stood for the fundamental believing in the book versus people who stood for the fundamental of developing a personal relationship with God. I mean, was there? did you notice a difference in the people on either side of, an, of the issue? Yeah, definitely. I mean, people who um, are obsessed with getting your theology right versus being transformed, um, you know, in your heart. I mean, there's there's clearly a difference, and I always like to the, to draw a distinction between theology as an end in itself and theology as a means to an end. And I think any theology that we do, um, you know, which is really um, you know a way of shaping our thinking about God, it um, the goal should be ultimately that um, we want to think the right way about God because the way we think about God is going to um, have a huge effect on the type of people we become. So, so definitely, I I see a difference between people who perhaps are just more concerned with getting things right, um, as opposed to ones who are just trying to to imitate Christ. And and um, so the, the the theology that they have is really something that that they're um, you know hoping that it's going to turn them into better people. And again, I don't want to say that anyone who disagrees with me is, uh, theologically is is, you know, pursuing theology as a means to an end, or as an end in itself. I think that can happen to anyone on, um, you know, no matter what position you happen to buy into. But I think that's a, that's a great question to keep um, prompting self-examination, which is, why is this so important to me? Um, why am I continually drawn into these types of discussions and disputes? Is it because I truly am trying to find the truth, or am I just trying to convince everyone else to believe what I do? And that's a, such an important thing. And one of the things that we, we like to uh, focus on here is asking the questions, because it's an idea of, look, let's talk about it. If you see it this way or you see it that way, let's put it on the table, because, look, I believe and you, you want to get your theology right. I really believe that, but I also believe you want to get it right so that you can be properly transformed. <laughs> that's that's how, how, how to put it all together. I want to play a, a very short clip, from again, from the documentary. And um, this was from a very, I don't want to mention the, the group, but this was in the documentary. You can find out by, by watching it. And if you'd like to get your free copy, call us now at 866-985-4255. But this just gives you a sense of of theology first, if you will, in a very dramatic, in my mind, over-the-top way. Let's listen to this. What do you think about people who read the Bible and come away thinking that uh, hell isn't eternal, or maybe it's not quite the way you guys interpret it? They're They're liars. liars. It's that simple. Nothing complicated about that. You guys seem tremendously certain about what you believe. What gives you that sense of certainty? Yeah, and we've been standing here giving an answer for the reason for the hope that's in us. And the reason is because these things, things are so plain and simple in the Bible. So they said, we're standing here, and Kevin, you were there. That was your voice. You're interviewing them. This was at the 9-11 memorial, uh, and you're interviewing them, and they say, well, we're, sta- we're giving a reason for the hope that's within us because these things are so plain in the Bible. And I'd venture to say that when, for, for all of us, we see it and say, well, it's pretty plain in the Bible. Yes, And then some, someone on the other side of the issue says, well, it's pretty plain in the Bible. <laughs> and, and Kevin, I'm sure you ran into a lot of that. Yeah, well, you know, I, I always appreciate a quote from uh, Thomas Talbot, who's a universalist philosopher, who says that we, we never read the, the Bible the way it is. We re- read it the way we are. 
And so I think that when something's very plain and simple to us, um, uh, as Richard Beck, a psychologist I interviewed for the film, says that we, we experience uh, moral truths as moral facts. And so when somebody disagrees with us with something that seems so clear to us, we assume they must have some kind of a cognitive or uh, affective or perhaps a spiritual uh, deficit, and so we try and fix that. And uh, that tends to be the way we approach oftentimes people who don't agree with us. And so emotions get really mixed in very quickly because we feel if if what we're seeing so plainly isn't as plain to someone else, well, there's something wrong with that person. Okay. And that's, that tends to be the place we, we go to. And, and, and you're right. And, w- again, one of the things we want to do here is we want to present Scripture and reasoning and say, okay, now think it through. Now think it through yourself. Well, we, we, I can't convince anybody of anything, nor do I want to, but it's the idea of putting it on the table. So, Jonathan, let's go to a, a small portion of the Rich Man and Lazarus account, uh, and we'll see if we can get a call in as we're, as we're going through this. And in hell he lift up his eyes, big in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water, and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. So the first question you have to ask about this is, again, it's talking about torment, and it's talking about hell, and you're saying, okay, you know, what's up with this? Well, first of all, is this literal or is this symbolic, and how are we able to tell? That's the first question. And, and really, Jonathan, instead of just sort of working with it, uh, I'm going to just tell you what I think. It, it's, it's absolutely positively symbolic. Not literal. Right. It's not literal. Now, why do we say that? Because it's in the context, just like Kevin was saying, in the context of Jesus telling stories. Mm-hmm. This is, there, there are four stories that Jesus tells before this, and he's creating a, a, a lesson, uh, methodology of lesson as he's building through each of these stories. This is the fifth of, of uh, five stories that he's telling. So it is a story, it is not a literal happening. All right, that, and you can you can determine that by looking at the 15th chapter of Luke, which is the chapter before uh, this this appears. Folks, again, if you have a thought, or if you'd like to get a free CD, a Hellbound CD, call us at 866-985-4255, toll free 866-985-4ALL. We are live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9, and that means we're on right now. And if you have any questions on our subject, give us a call or ask your questions at ChristianQuestions.com or go to Facebook. Or email us at rick at christianquestions.net. So many ways to contact so little time. Um, Jonathan, let's see if we can fit a call in here. Uh, We've got uh, Jeff from Illinois. Good morning, Jeff, and welcome to Christian Questions. Good morning. Thank you for having me on. Uh, Thank you also for having Kevin. I found the documentary rather fascinating. Uh, I have a question about uh, postmortem speculation, about whether or not salvation is possible after death. Uh, I know that Brad Jersak, uh, one of the uh, people that were interviewed in the film, holds that position. I was wondering if others hold that as well. And then I know you haven't, uh, you might be getting to it a little later on. The parable of the uh, sheep and the goats? Yes. And the, oh, uh, Kevin got disconnected. Yeah, that's okay. Uh, we're calling him back. Okay. In the parable of the sheep and the goats, when you look at the Rotherham translation, it says that. Uh, these shall go away into age-abiding correction, but the righteous into age-abiding life. So it shows that this isn't the end of the story. This is possibly the beginning of the story for some of these goats, that 
uh, it's decided that they can go into age-abiding correction, so that during that, during a future age, that they could be corrected and, and possibly obtain salvation uh, by the end of that, just by following what Jesus uh, had prescribed for us. But Jesus did a lot of what the prophets of the Old Testament did. He, they focused a lot on the here and now. You know, you know, you better shape up, the prophet said, or this is going to happen to you. And Jesus did the same thing. You better shape up scribes and Pharisees in Israel, or, you know, this might happen to you in your nation. So uh, we also have to focus on the here and now as well. So and, I'll and, hang up now and uh, listen to your comments. All right, Jeff, thanks so much. We appreciate your call. And so, so again, when we look at Scripture, folks, one of the important things to, to, to determine is what, what is being said, to whom is it being said, and why is it being said. And, and if you see it in, in, a, in a general wide context, it makes so much more of a, of, 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 of a sensible conclusion as you put this all together. Folks, we have with us here uh, Kevin Miller. Uh, Kevin, you are back, right? Okay, good. Sorry about that. Some, sometimes you just get hung up on what can I tell you? <laughs> <laughs> but um, we're looking at the, just a couple of the details from the parable. We're calling it a parable, the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. And again, folks, if you would like to get a uh, DVD from Kevin uh, from Hellbound, the documentary that was produced last year in 2012, give us a call at 866-985-4255, toll free 866 for all, we're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9, and that means we're on right now. And go to our website and become a Twitter follower to learn about upcoming programs and, and new updates posted. Go to ChristianQuestions.com. And if we do run out of the free DVDs, you can certainly order them at hellbound.storeenvy.com. Hellbound.storeenvy.com, and that gives you... Forward slash. And you, you, you enter into the discount code uh, Christian Questions, and you can get free shipping on that. So uh, we do have a limited supply that we are giving away. Uh, so give us a call, and again, if we don't have any left, you can certainly order one. This is a great conversation starter on a very difficult subject. That's why this is so important. So, so Jonathan, as we get back to this, this, um, this parable of the rich man and Lazarus, it talks about hell, you know, being in hell. That's right. And that's the word for Hades. That's the word for grave. The grave, yeah. And it's not Gehenna because Gehenna is also, is also described as the lake of fire. In Revelation, it says death and hell, Hades, were, were thrown into the lake of fire. That's right. So you obviously can't be in the place that's not the place because it's telling you the place is not the place. That's right. And the other thing is torments. Okay, we look at that and you look at that word and you say, okay, being in torment. I mean, you think that sounds terrible. He's being tormented. What does it mean to be tormented? Again, you know, you rely on those individuals who are scholars of an of an ancient language to help us understand these things. That's right. Like the Greek-English lexicon. Yes. It's a touchstone, which is a black, silious stone, which used to purify gold or silver by the color of the streak produced on it by rubbing it with it, uh, either metals. So this black stone was, was held onto by merchants in, in the marketplace. Yes. And somebody would pay them for their goods, and if they pay them with a gold or silver coin, they would take the stone out and they'd, they'd strike the edge of it against the stone mm-hmm. to see if the silver coin was real or is not. Is it pure or not? So... The Pharisees in this parable were being shown to be false. That's right. Not pure. And they're and tormented because they're being revealed. They're hypocrites. And Jesus... One minute. ...this particular parable at them. We have less than a minute left for, the, for this segment. So, uh, Kevin, any like really quick comments before we close this hour and get to our second hour? 
all, all I would say is that I think there's a lot of controversy over whether or not this story is a parable yes. or a real story. Yes. I would fall in line with people who say it's a parable, but I think it's a really interesting one because it's the only parable where Jesus actually mentions someone by name, which is yes. Lazarus. And I think, again, what we're seeing here, um, if you compare the name Lazarus with Eleazar, who was Abraham's faithful steward, the one who tr- helped uh, Isaac find a wife, I think what we're seeing here is a parable about the relationship between the Jews and the Gentiles, and we can maybe discuss that more in the next hour. All right, and and that's also the other interesting point about that is that this parable was spoken approximately, we're not sure exactly, but approximately two weeks before guess who was raised from the dead? Lazarus. Lazarus. And in the parable, Jesus says, if Lazarus came back from the dead, you still wouldn't believe him. And yet, and then about two weeks later, guess who comes back from the dead, and guess who doesn't believe him? So it, Jesus uses a formal name to accentuate a very important lesson. Folks, we're talking about hell and where it fits or where it doesn't fit in the scriptures. A very important, very thought-provoking conversation. So stay with us for the second hour. If we're not on in your area, go to ChristianQuestions.com. Hit the Listen Live button and stay with us for the conversation. Much more to come in the next hour. For Jonathan and Rick and our special guest, Kevin Miller, it's Christian Questions. We're talking about are most people really hell-bound? We'll be back after the news all the, and all that. But till then, think about it. is Christian Questions. Rochelle Goodrich once said, Vengeance is a monster of appetite, forever bloodthirsty and never filled. Good morning, everyone, and welcome back to Christian Questions Talk Radio with your breakfast with Jonathan and Rick and our special guest, Kevin Miller. This isn't your typical Christian commentary. We love talking with our audience and promise to never talk at you like so many talk shows do today. This is a conversation about biblical topics as we look at them from a different perspective. And Jonathan, we have got a real, real important subject that is on the table this morning. We really do, Rick. And our question this morning is, are most people really hellbound? Part 2. And our theme text comes from Genesis chapter 18, verse 25. Shall not the judge of all the earth deal justly? And Rick, it is Mother's Day today. Yeah, I've, I don't know if I should say this out loud, but I forgot about it for the whole first hour. <laughs> so folks, for all of you mothers out there listening, we do truly wish you a happy Mother's Day. We're talking about hellfire, but <laughs> happy Mother's Day. And the good news is we don't believe that hellfire is is a, a scriptural concept. Uh, but again, we do not want to forget the uh, the wishing of happy Mother's Day to all those out there listening. So Kevin, you're back with us. Are you still here? I'm, I'm here. Oh, that's a good thing. Um, so, as we get started with the second hour, Jonathan, we do have just a few DVDs left for our giveaway. Now, look, Kevin's DVD, his his documentary was produced last year, 2012, and uh, was up out in theaters up until February. It is going to be released on DVD May 28th. 
Um, so nobody gets it before May 28th, unless you're a Christian Questions listener, in which case you can, um, we have just a few left, call us at 866-985-4255, toll free 866-985-4ALL. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9. That means we're on right now. And when we run out, you can go to hellbound.storenvy.com forward slash and order your own DVD. And if you put Christian Questions in the promo box, uh, you can get free shipping on that as well. So um, uh, let's go back to the last part of the official trailer from Hellbound, the movie, because it just gives you a sense of what we're talking about. Then we're going to get Kevin back on here uh, discussing the matter with us. Just take a step back a little bit and hear how that sounds. You better accept Jesus Christ or you're going to burn forever in hell. Oh, God loves you. (laughs) You often find folks whose map is the territory. If you disagree with them, you're not disagreeing with them, you're disagreeing with God. I use the language of national and state borders or boundaries. I can work with anybody in the state borders, but I can't partner with anyone who's crossed a national border. I've got to tell you, that's not a good way to be. If someone's got a a position or argument and you think it's wrong, then why do you fear looking at it? The truth shouldn't have anything to fear. It's rather amazing to me that more people aren't saying this can't be right. So, and, and one statement in there really jumps out at me, the truth should have nothing to fear. And, and that's, look, folks, that's why we do what we do. It, Christian Questions is designed to give you a perspective and then listen to what your thoughts are. And if you disagree, that's fine. That's great. Let's talk about it. So, Kevin, as you were putting this all together, and, and obviously there's, there's people very, very firmly rooted on both sides of this issue, did you experience what you would consider really compelling arguments representing hell as being a just punishment? I mean, that's a loaded question, I know, but go ahead. Well, I, again, it all depends on how you define justice. I okay. mean, I think that a lot of times we define justice as punishment. And so did somebody get justice in the trial? Well, the question usually means did they get um, a sentence that's, that suited the crime? So if it was a very serious crime, did they get a significant sentence or not? So it always has to do with punishment. Um, and I, I would kind of look at justice through a different lens to say that justice means wrongs made right. And so was a wrong made right and the question is then can punishment ever make a wrong right i'm very skeptical about that so no i, I can't say that um i found uh, any compelling arguments for hell as eternal torment being just but at the same time i'll say that i understand that the appeal of eternal torment often arises out of a concern for justice because we see horrific things happen in the world the event that we highlight in in hellbound is um the attacks on 9-11 And so this is damage that humans can inflict that other humans are unable to fix. And so then we look to God and we say, God, surely you will make this right. As we, that's the scripture that we use to open Hellbound. Um, It it alludes to that. The question is, how will God make this right? And and can it be made right by basically doing to the perpetrators what they did to other people? Is that really introducing something that's that's better, a higher? Um, form of justice than humans are able to conceive of. I would say no. I would say, in a sense, then what we all we've done is just create a God in our image. And so I always look for a form of justice that somehow supersedes what we're capable of or even what we would want. And, and this, you know, 
um, goes back to God saying, you know, to Isaiah, my, my thoughts are not your thoughts, my ways are not your ways, and that's being spoken in the context of God showing mercy to his enemies. And so I think that God's definition of justice is, is quite different from the way we typically define it. And and I think, boy, was that a loaded comment. <laughs> uh, but see, I think what that does is that puts it in a perspective that, sure, you need to be, there, need to, there needs to be punishment for wrongdoing, but there also needs to be a perspective put in place where wrongs are to be made right. And when we look at and we truly analyze what do we want for justice, that's what we all really want. It is. The human nature wants, well, exactly. Anyone wants to put Anyone who lost somebody right. on 9-11, do they want the hijackers punished or do they want their son back? Right, yes. Or do they want their daughter back? Right. Um, or their mother or their dad? I mean, what is really going to bring healing to the hearts of those who were hurt? That's the most important question. And so justice is not just, oh, you're going to get yours, but it is the, the rebuilding of what was done wrong made right. And that is such an important part of this whole thing. So, folks, listen, we have just a few. where They're going, but we have just a few of the Hellbound documentary DVDs that we are willing to give to you. Uh, that's free. In <laughs> advance of everyone else. That's right. Uh, call us at 866-985-4255. Toll free, 866 for all, we're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9. That means we're on right now. You can talk to our call screener, and she'll take down your information. We'll get these out to you this coming week. Uh, and we also want to remind you that you can make a comment. We'd love to get you on the air as well. So uh, all of that being said, we do actually, Jonathan, do have a call. We do indeed. We have Julius from Connecticut. Good morning, Julius, and welcome to Christian Questions. Gentlemen, good morning. Good, good to morning. have you. Good morning, Kevin. Uh, Mr. Miller? Yeah, you know what? For some reason, Julius, we can't get him on the air with you. He's still... Okay. He's but he's still, listening. He's, he's there. Okay. <laughs> no, I've been there. I've called you from California. I know what it is to call at 4 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> yeah. Uh, for Kevin, uh, you know, his uh, he's, uh, work here is honoring God. Yeah. Because I, I believe that the, the concept of hellfire as presented traditionally... Is, dishonors God's character. In fact, uh, that the Jeremiah scripture that we talked about so often about uh, that, you know, offering the children on fire on the altar and sacrificing them on fire. Yes. You know, they, they're, they're trying to corrupt God's character. That, that is the furthest thing from his mind. That's that's what God is saying. It's God is not interested in a slavish fear. He wants reverence from a from a true heart. Uh, based on, on love, not fear. Uh, you know, God says, let us reason together, Isaiah 118. And the hell theory, the, the raw concept of that theory, violates the law of physics in this way. When you burn something, ashes result, smoke and ashes. Mm-hmm. Not, not the. Uh, that's a byproduct of a fire, ashes, and uh, smoke. Not, not something more alive than before. I think that uh, that's one way, another way of looking at it. But I appreciate Kevin's work, Mr. Miller's work, and your work, your uh, zeal to put it on and discuss it like you are. Thank you. God bless. Thank you, Joyce. Appreciate your call. Have you too. Thank you, uh, and and Jonathan, you know, he brought up an important important points there in terms of just putting it. We want to put it to the to the to the eye, uh, 
in front of us from a sensible reasoning standpoint. Uh, faith is important, and but faith should be built on reason. There should be a solid reason for your faith, not just something whimsical, if you will. Um, and in, in this segment, Jonathan, we, <laughs> we only have four minutes left, but we wanted to talk a little bit about weeping and gnashing of teeth. Because that's a phrase that's often used to describe the concept of hell and torment and torture and things like that. Here's the interesting thing. In the New Testament, weeping and gnashing of teeth, the phrase, is used seven different times. Okay. It's never, ever used in the context of Gehenna. That's interesting. So it's, it's always about something, but it's never in the context of actual uh, Gehenna. And I think that, that's an important factor here. Let's just, uh, let's just uh, jump down to the Matthew 8, 11, and 12 uh, version of that, because we don't have time to go into all of these other ones here. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So cast into outer darkness. And in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And, and again, for those who are proponents of hell. And, and Kevin, did you get a lot of, uh, a lot of input on that, that phrase, the weeping and gnashing of teeth phrase? Um, probably more in my research than actually in the film Hellbound. But, uh, yeah, I mean, of course, there's as a, with any of these phrases, there's a healthy discussion on what does that mean. Right. Some people would say the gnashing of the teeth indicates anger at God. Um, other people would say, no, it's weeping and gnashing of teeth. It, it's really an expression of, of regret um, or uh, repentance, really, um, at, at what they've lost or what they've missed out on or being confronted with the truth of their actions. So, I mean, this is, again, a, I think a place for some very healthy discussion. And with that, also, when you think about it and you think about outer darkness as a picture, you know, outer darkness, obviously, there's no fire. And there's no light. Right. Right. So when you look at, let, let's just take a look at uh, Isaiah 42, 6 and 7, because a lot of the, G, the, the teachings of Jesus are built on the Old Testament. And he continually goes back to the Old Testament because, look, Jesus was Jewish. He was taking those things and putting them in the perspective of what the gospel means. And the gospel is built on the foundation of Judaism. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will also hold you by the hand and watch over you. And I will appoint you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the nations, to open blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from the dungeon, and those who dwell in darkness from the prison. So when it talks about being cast into outer darkness, you can take a look at that and say, okay, Jesus' own context for his own comments would have been the teachings of the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. So you look at Isaiah, and he's saying he is calling to bring people out of prison from dungeons to those who dwell in darkness. So he's saying that if you're not accepting what I'm showing you, it's outer darkness. You're, you're losing the light of truth. That's what you're losing. You're not, you're, not, you're not being tortured and tormented, but you're losing the light of truth and the weeping and gnashing of teeth. You know, Kevin, you said something about you know, being mad at God. Uh, it, it is. It's anger. It's, it's, you've lost something of great value, and there's a frustration. And it, it kind of reminds me of road rage. Mm. <laughs> you know, that, that same kind of reaction that I had it and I lost it. And, and what a sad, sad thing. And, folks, listen, you want to go to ChristianQuestions.com and sign up for Seeker Rewind, uh, the, the, uh, the full edition, because we've got several scriptures on the weeping and gnashing of teeth item here that we just didn't talk about. We don't have time. Uh, but it will all be in the Seeker Rewind full edition. It is a free service. There is no obligation. You sign up for it. It's a PDF file that gets emailed to you uh, each week and gives you 
in writing the scriptures for your personal examination. We're not telling you what to believe. We're just saying, hey, let's look at the scriptures together and you draw your own conclusions. Only at ChristianQuestions.com. And again, we do have just a few, and I really mean just a few, Hellbound DVDs left. So it's 866-985-4255. Call now, talk to our screener, and get your free DVD, Hellbound, the documentary. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan, here with Rick, with our special guest, Kevin Miller. And our subject this morning, Are Most People Really Hellbound? Part 2. Coming up, is there weeping and gnashing of teeth and fire together? The parable of the wheat and tares, is that the proof that eternal torment exists? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. Welcome back. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick with our special guest, Kevin Miller, which is the producer of Hellbound. If you have a question or a thought, give us a call at 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-4ALL. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9. That means we're on right now. And our website, ChristianQuestions.com. And as we are going through this, again, folks, we want to remind you, we are really at the end of the road with our free DVDs. But if you call now, you might just get the last one or so. So give us a call again, 866-985-4255. And also remember, uh, if you cannot get the free DVD, you can certainly go to hellbound.storenv.com forward slash and type in Christian questions in the little promo box there, and you can get free shipping on the DVDs. They are being released May 28th uh, this this month, uh, but Kevin was kind enough to send us uh, a stack of them that we can give to our listeners, and you can get it ahead of time. Before everybody else, you can get it. So, uh, but you have to be fast. That's right. you got to be quick. you got to be quick. So, uh, Kevin, I want to I play a, uh, a very short soundbite. Not from your documentary, surprisingly, but and, and I just want to get your input on it because there's a very specific approach to the whole hell question in this particular soundbite, and I know you dealt with it uh, in the documentary, so let's listen to this. I suppose you are one of those individuals who believe God sends people to hell, the person somewhat sarcastically directed to me. No, I replied matter-of-factly, I don't believe God sends people to hell at all. I think we actually send ourselves there when we refuse the life God offers us, the one who sent his son to save us from such a place. Issue settled. Okay, so he says issue settled. Now, I know you dealt with that in the documentary, but what's your your impression of that? Well, I I think this is uh, oftentimes a way of trying to rescue God from being a cosmic tormentor or executioner to say that God doesn't send people to hell, we put ourselves there. And this is, um, in, in a sense, the argument that Rob Bell makes in his book, Love Wins, that if anyone ends up away from God, it's because of the choice that they've made. So he says, love wins because God gets what, what God wants, and we get what we want. And C.S. Lewis made a similar argument that the, the door of hell is locked from the inside, and that we become successful rebels to the end. But I, I would really question that. And we do, in Hellbound, we question that idea, because... I do not see how abandoning people to self-destructive choices is love, and I don't see how that's a win. And Richard Beck, um, who has this great blog called experimentaltheology.com, he wrote recently saying that, uh, drawing this connection between our affections and our choices, and to say that if our affections are broken, our choices are going to be broken. And so what does love look like in that, in that circumstance? Well, what love looks like is 
helping to heal our affections so that we'll heal our choices. And so if we choose to reject God, why are we making that choice? Is it because we're just inherently evil, or is it because something has got in the way, something has has caused um, pain in our hearts, and we've formed bad images of God or what have you? Ultimately, it's some kind of an emotional problem that we're having, and that needs to be healed so that we can choose the good. Because why wouldn't we choose the good? Why would we choose something self-destructive? Well, I think the only time we do that is when, um, you know, uh, our affections are broken. So the the idea that people send themselves is is they're they're consciously rejecting the goodness of God, and so that's where they're sending themselves. But again, you're bringing up the the very important question is well, first of all, would anybody really consciously send themselves if they honestly understood what eternal torment was and and what it looked like and and what it felt like, and do, how does that reflect on God to just say, well, okay, that's what they deserve, just let them let them go get it. So it it. It begs the the basic question of the very nature of what drives what we believe is the God of the universe. So, folks, if you have a thought, it's 866-985-4255, toll-free, 866-985-4ALL. We are live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9. It means we're on right now, and we are out of free DVDs. We are. But you can still order them. Wait, you still can. That's right, at hellbound.storenvy.com forward slash. And you can put Christian questions in the promo code and get a discount on the shipping. And um, you can we'll, – we'll have all of this in the Seeker Rewind full uh, full edition. Actually, both both editions that will be available on the website later this week as well. So uh, as we go through this, uh, we're, we're trying to put the, the concept of hell on the table for conversation. We're not here to change your mind. We're here to say, look, let's talk about it. Let's put it on the table. And this documentary done by Kevin uh, Miller does that exactly. It puts it on the table. It asks the hard questions, and it's a very even-handed approach. And I really believe that every Christian household should have this uh, documentary in their possession because it's a great conversation starter. So all of that being said, Jonathan, let's go back to the scriptures. We were talking a little bit about weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth? Yes. And you asked the question at the end of the last segment, well, is there ever a situation where weeping and gnashing of teeth is in the context of fire? And the answer is, yes, there is. You say, aha, does that mean? Well, hold on, let's just read the scripture first, and then let's put it out for some conversation. Matthew 13, 37 to 43. And he answered and said unto them, He that soweth the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, the good seed are the children of the kingdom, but the tares are the children of the wicked one. The enemy that sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world, and the reapers are the angels. As therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be in the end of this world. The Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend, and them which do iniquity, and shall cast them into a furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. Now this this obviously is a, is a parable. It's yes. talking about wheat and tares and, mm-hmm. and so forth. But Kevin, here we've got a furnace of fire and wailing and gnashing of teeth. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, well, it's inter- I think one of the key phrases within this, uh, what Jesus is really doing here is he's decoding or interpreting his own parable. And I think one of the key phrases here is, who hath ears to hear, let him hear. So, in other words, pay close attention, folks, because there's something going on beneath the surface of this that, you know, if you just interpret this literally, you're going to miss it. And so, 
think that that's, you know, when, whenever we're examining some of the parabolic language of Jesus, um, paying attention to a phrase like that is, is so important. And in, and Jesus, you're right, he is interpreting his own parable here, and he's saying, the field is the world, a good seed are the children of the kingdom, and this is talking about the end of the age. So it's giving you a picture, and it's placing it in a very specific context in the future. And the interesting... Well, I, again, though, I, I would also jump in there and say, you know, the book of Matthew was written, um, you know, uh, it was after, basically, the fall of Jerusalem in 70 A.D., so... Um, they, the readers and the writers would be looking back upon the fall of Jerusalem, and, you know, in the minds of many scholars, that is the end of the age. It's not something that would have been future necessarily for the writers and the readers of Matthew. It would have been something in the past, and so they're looking back, and, and in a sense, it's making sense of what happened in Jerusalem. And so that this could not, this, there's a, a potential that this isn't speaking about a future event for us, it's actually something that um, is in the past, and so the end of the age is the end of the age of, of temple worship, and and um, you know that that happened with the fall of Jerusalem. Well, and I I, I certainly can can see that and look at it, and the way the way we understand it from from our perspective here is that it, that was the end of an age, and there is an end of this age that is coming as well that Jesus talked about in, in relation to his return. And see, I, I see it that oftentimes Jesus spoke parables that had two two applications: one that was much more immediate, and one that was much more prophetic. Um, but as as we look at this, the whole point is it is a story, and it's a story that's using imagery. And so the the other question is: Well, where does Jesus get the imagery from? And that. Well, more often than not, you're going to find that Jesus gets the imagery from, guess where? The Old Testament. Why? Because he is Jewish. He is using the, the, the books of the Law and the Prophets to teach the Gospel, which is built upon the shoulders of the Old Testament. And it's interesting that he talks about here a furnace of fire. Now, and I just want to jump in there, too, and say, again, this, this is a, something, a concern that's very particular to the author of uh, the Gospel of Matthew, which is to establish the Jewishness of Christ. I mean, that's one of the, right. one of the big um, agenda items for this particular Gospel. So, yeah, I think it's no surprise that you're going to continually see him um, referencing the Old Testament throughout this book. And that actually ends up being a very important and, and very revealing part of the, the gospel, is to, to realize that it is so firmly built on that Old Testament foundation. And Jonathan, let's just touch on a couple of Old Testament uh, scriptures here uh, in, in terms of the imagery that Jesus uses with this furnace of fire. Your hand will find out all your enemies. Your right hand will find out those who hate you. You will make them as a fiery oven in the time of your anger. The Lord will swallow them up in his wrath, and fire will devour them. So make them as a fiery oven, oven. Yes. <laughs> in the time of your anger. So, you know, from an Old Testament perspective, that's a prophecy looking forward. And if you want to plant that at the end of the Jewish age where the destruction of Jerusalem happened, it certainly does fit. It does. But I really also think it fits in the terms of looking forward to the Armageddon picture and the end of the age of the gospel. And then there's another transition into another age, which is not the subject of this particular program. Well, one, more, one more scripture on this, Jonathan. Malachi 4, 1. And again, the reason for these particular scriptures is to, is to look at where Jesus draws 
the imagery for his teachings from, and it makes it so much simpler to understand when we go back to the original source and say, okay, this is the phrase, this is where it was, so this this must have something to do with the way Jesus is presenting it. And folks, if you have a thought, it's 866-985-4255, toll free, 866-985-4ALL. We are live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9, and that means we're on right now. And stay connected to Rick and I at ChristianQuestions.com, no matter the day or time. All right, let's go to Malachi 4.1. For behold, the day is coming, burning like a furnace, and all the arrogant and every evildoer will be chaff, and the day that is coming will set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. And that kind of reminds me of Julius's comment earlier. He said, you know, the result of fire is what? Destruction and ashes. Yes. And it says the, the evildoer will be chaff. The day is coming that will set them ablaze. Not doesn't doesn't even give a hint at torment or torture. No. But it gives a hint at an evil being destroyed and it comes burning like a furnace. So in this scripture where it says and shall cast them into a furnace of fire, doesn't it sound like there's a similarity between the two? It does. Now folks you decide for yourself, but we're looking at the imagery Jesus is using that comes into question when we talk about this idea of hell and hell fire and does it really belong in the scriptures and again this is one of those things where there's lots of opinions from a christian standpoint we hold very specifically to an opinion that those things do not belong in the scriptures and we can certainly understand if you believe otherwise i invite you to give a call and let us know some of uh, your thinking on that and we're laying these things out as a way to say hey look let's put it on the table and let's talk about it so, Kevin, now, in terms of looking at Old Testament versus New Testament and how Jesus combines the two, you, you, you were making some very important comments that Matthew's, one of Matthew's objectives was to show the Jewishness of Jesus. Anything you want to, you want to build on that? Well, yeah, I, again, I, I think what you're doing is really important, that you're showing the Old Testament foundation for a lot of the imagery that Jesus is using. He's not just using Old Testament uh, imagery. There's also a number of um, important documents that are written between the Testaments as well, and, and a lot of theological ideas that had developed that he references and, and often overturns. But I think then, when we so we look at the context of Christ, but then also the context of the author of the book of Matthew, or the community that gave rise to this document, and what were their historical circumstances. And, and you know, one of the more prominent theories is that it's coming from the region of Antioch and that this is a group of people that is um, suffered a lot of persecution both at the hands of the Jews and the Gentiles and so I think this is a, a book that's written primarily to give persecuted believers hope and so there's a sense that keeps coming up in Matthew is that don't worry in the end God is going to sort things out and, and so that evil may be allowed to thrive but in, in, say, the parable of the wheat and the weeds, if, if God were to just pluck um, evil out of the world uh, or whatever's going on, that, that it may actually damage the wheat as well. And so that we may not be able to make sense of what's going on um, in terms of all the damage and destruction in the world, but we just need to trust that God is in control and that God will make things right in the end. And actually our entire last segment is about scriptural reasoning that gives the sense of you just don't have to worry because God will make sense of it and the the folks so you want to stay with us for that last segment because it really lays out how the scriptures tell us 
of the justice and mercy of God in relation to all of the things we've been talking about. It's fascinating to see it as you put it all in context. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick with our special guest, Kevin Miller. Our subject, Are Most People Really Hellbound? Part 2. Coming up. So, if we say there's no burning hell, what does God want from sinners? Do they just get a free pass? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. Welcome back. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick with our special guest, Kevin Miller. And our subject, Are Most People Really Hellbound? Part 2. To be a part of our program, call toll-free 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-4ALL. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9. That means we're on right now. And our website, ChristianQuestions.com. And as we are going to be wrapping this up, we again want to go to a, a soundbite that is not from Kevin's um, documentary. This is actually from a History Channel program called Hell, the Devil's Domain. And again, Kevin, once we play this, I want to get your, your reaction uh, to this and sort of the approach that it's taking. Sure. Death. The Great Equalizer. People across the globe and throughout time have believed that life endures beyond the grave. Modern religions offer differing concepts of an afterlife, but most are linked by two beliefs. A life lived in accordance with God leads to a positive afterlife, a heaven. A life lived in league with the devil leads to something negative, a hell. Reward and punishment in an afterlife is axiomatic to a belief in a good God. Okay, now, Kevin, as, as uh, th- that's a, an important statement at the end. Uh, reward and punishment in the afterlife is axiomatic to a good God. How do you look at this? How do you personally understand God's intention for sinners and his treatment of them? I mean, is God a vengeful God that wants his pound of flesh? I know you've, you've sort of touched on it, but give, give us your sense on your understanding of God's treatment of, of sinners afterwards. Well, I think, you know, how we answer this question is always coming back to what concepts or what scriptures um, or what attributes of God do we consider primary and which ones do we consider secondary. And for me, I really um, begin from the idea that if God is, is exists and if God is good, then I would think that, that the essence of God is love. And so love always looks to not the concern of the self, but to the concern of the other. And so one of the big questions I have is, is God primarily is is his will the primary thing that i'm going to get what i want because i think that makes god self-centered if if love is primary for god well then what how will that change how will that uh basically deeply rooted affection how will that change the choices that god makes and so i think when it comes to how will god deal with sinners we look within our own justice system we have a lot of different purposes when we're trying to deal with uh, folks who've broken the law or what have you. I mean, at the most basic level, we're looking for retribution. We're wanting a pound of flesh. Um, but, and we're also trying to deter other people from doing, you know, bad things. We're trying to protect the public and, and, and all these sorts of things. But those are, I think, some of the lowest forms. I think that ultimately what we want, the highest view of justice that we have, is justice that um, will uh, seek restitution, justice that will rehabilitate, but ultimately justice that will reconcile. So I would hope that if God is good and if God is loving and if love 
makes you concerned for the welfare of the other, that God will be, find a way to deal with sin that doesn't come at the expense of anyone. And, and I think that too often times our view of justice will always come at someone else's expense. And, and so, or peace will come at the expense of somebody that we're going to scapegoat or something like that. And so that's why, again, we begin hellbound with Genesis 18.25, shall not the judge of all the, all the earth do what's right. And, and that's really, really where I, I just believe ultimately in the goodness of God and that, and that love will always seek the welfare of the other. And we are actually going to spend this segment looking at that from a scriptural standpoint. So uh, we absolutely agree on that, that God is bigger than uh, vengeance. God is bigger than uh, the, the problem of sin and evil. He's bigger than all of that, and he has a way of putting it all in proper, loving, clear perspective. And before we get into the scriptural reasoning, Jonathan, we do have a call. Let's go to the phones. All right. We have Randall from Connecticut. Good morning, Randall, and welcome to Christian Questions. Good morning. Holy Sunday, guys, and happy Mother's Day. Thank you. Go ahead. And we have James 2.12. So speak and so act as people who will be judged by the law of freedom. It should not be hell that focuses the Christian, but judgment. For scripture warns that judgment is not only later, but now. Galatians 4.9 Now that you have come to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and destitute elemental powers? If judgment is like a thief or a master's return, sudden and unexpected, then our daily choices become urgent. Our lives are the summit of our choices. Acts 10.43 To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him will receive forgiveness of sins through his name. Randall, thanks so much. We appreciate it. God bless you guys. Take care. And the point there, Jonathan, that is so important is that it, we do have to be on the alert to do things as right and in, in, in as right and righteous a way as we possibly can now, no yes. matter who we are. Exactly. Because that all, I think that all factors into God's view of us as to what is driving your heart. Now, maybe you are misdirected in terms of belief, but what is driving your heart? I think God sees and appreciates that and will never squash the potential of somebody. And the reason I'm so confident of that belief is folks we're going to spend the rest of the program looking at Romans chapter 5 I don't know if we're going to get through all the verses but we're going to be focusing on verses 12 through 21 and looking at this as a logical and sequential reasoning by the Apostle Paul that reveals the will of God for his earthly creation both believer and non-believer so it it includes both classes now again folks I want to remind you uh, that we have available for you the Hellbound DVD. Uh, it is re- going to be released May 28th, and you can get that, Jonathan, by going where? Hellbound.storenvy.com forward slash. And put in the promo code Christian Questions for free shipping. Uh, the Hellbound DVD. So you get it, you go, go to that website, you can order it there, storenv.com, S-T-O-R-E-N-V-Y. So hellbound.storenv.com forward slash putting Christian questions and you can get your, your copy. This is, I think, a must because it asks the important questions about a very important doctrine. 
that there are so many Christians that believe so many different things on, you want to put it on the table. And folks, if we're not, if we're looking for truth, let's not be afraid to talk about those things, which sometimes get the hair on the back of your neck standing up. Yes. <laughs> All right. All right. So let's get started with this Romans five twelve to 21, Jonathan and, and Kevin, and we'll see how far we can get. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin. All right. So there's a, a natural progression. It's saying through one man, through Adam, all men fall under the curse of sin. So everybody said it like, okay, sweeping uh, inclusion here. Everybody is born under Adam, born in sin, because that's where you came from. That's right. Okay, so let, let's go to the next couple of verses. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who have not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam, who was a type of him who was to come. And as we look at this part, Kevin, this, this kind of brings me back to some of the things you said uh, a few minutes ago, because it's this particular verse is referring back to the time before the law of Moses came. And in this, in this discussion of the Apostle Paul, he's saying that, look, there is a law of man that always existed. And that kind of reminds me of, of where you were going with, with sort of this, this, uh, this, this ability to, to seek out righteousness. Yes, well, and the, and the law, I mean, always demands sacrifice, and so, the, and God says, "I demand, or I, I uh, want mercy, not sacrifice." And so, I think that, you know, the contrast here between the the law of man and and the law of God, I mean, it's it's a very different it's a very different thing. I think this is the distinction, of course, that that uh, Paul is trying to draw here is that there's the civilization of Adam or and Cain, you know, which is founded in murder. Um, and then there's the the kingdom of God, and so how are they different? And, and how does Christ become the new Adam, the the foundation for a new, a completely new way of of living? So how 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 does that all work? And the the advent of Christ puts builds upon. So what you had is Jonathan, you had you have several foundations. You had the foundation of Adam and sin. Mm-hmm. Then you had the the world before the flood. Right. Then you had the world after the flood before the law. Mm-hmm. Then you had the Jewish world of the law. That's right. And now you have Christianity. That's right. So you have all of these things that sort of create a history of looking back upon to find what the gospel truly means. And I think that helps us to, to, to get a sense of it. And so what the Apostle Paul is doing in these verses is he's referring back to those things and saying, here's the history of mankind, and here's what he says next. But the free gift is not like the transgression. For if by the transgression of the one the many died, much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to the many. So, key phrase there is, you have transgression of one, the many died. Adam, all died. Right, so we're all doomed. Is, is yeah, very that's what it's saying. But yeah. it's true, okay? But it also says, the free gift the, by the man Jesus Christ abounded to the many. Which is the same correspond. It's the all. Right. So here you have the scripture showing you that just the way sin permeated and contaminated the everybody, so Christ has the ability to permeate and lift the everybody. Mm-hmm. So, so, Kevin, again, that comes back to when you, what you said that what's the primary attribute that, that you focus on? You say, well, God is, is, is love and he cares for the other. And this scripture seems to me to, to really support uh, that, that kind of thinking that you were talking about. Yeah, well, I, this is, 
Romans is one of my favorite books in the Bible, and, and the reasoning that, that Paul is walking through here, which really culminates in, in Romans 11, is, I think it's so crucial. Because, but it also brings out, you know, one of the tensions of, of reading the Bible is that when you go back to some of the parables of the good and the bad fish, or the wheat and the tares, it sounds like um, there's going to be division. Some people are destroyed and some people are kept. But then you come here and you see that what basically came through Adam and affected everyone, Christ is going to undo for who? For everyone. So just as sin entered the world through one man, um, now Christ is going to come and, and affect it all. Christ is going to come and undo that, and it's going to affect everyone. And so I think this is one of the tensions that we need to grapple with as we're reading through the Bible, is that it seems like an outright contradiction. So how do we resolve that tension? And I think the way is to come back in and to say that the crucified Christ, um, who is offering himself to the world in, in an act of self-sacrifice, is really the lodestone. It's the interpretive principle that then we apply. Um, and so if we have an interpretation of a certain passage that seems to contradict that, well, I think we need to go back and examine our interpretation, because love seems to be the bedrock principle. And, and another, another part of that whole reasoning is, oftentimes, if, if you really get deeply into, into Scripture, what you find is certain things have applications at certain times, certain dispensational times, so that you have a sense that certain things, uh, a period of destruction, and so forth, like the destruction of Jerusalem that we've so often referred to in sure. this program, it was a period of time, the first advent of Jesus was a period of time. The second, the return of Christ, is a different period of time. And if we put these things in perspective, putting the periods of time to them, it makes so much more sense. And that helps you to to deal with the tension that, that Kevin's talking about here uh, of the scriptures. Remember, people didn't have a choice as to be born in sin. That's right. Nobody says, hey, I'm going to be different when I'm born. I'm not going to be born sinful. You know, I'm not going to be born into the sinful race. I'm not going to inherit the sin of Adam. No, we're all born, and that's what we get. And what this scripture is saying is that we all get that without asking for it. We all also get the ransom of Jesus applied to our life without asking for it. It's saying it's the same way. It's the same thing. So that's such an important part of... One minute whole uh, hell conversation uh, together. We're not going to have time to get through the rest of these scriptures. Uh, Kevin, we have less than a minute left before our outro music starts. Any final comments from you as we wrap this up? Well, I just think the point you've made is, is so good is, is that, um, that there is a parallel, that we're born into this situation one way or the other, um, and that we had no choice about it. And so I think that, that um, you know, if you're looking to build your whole theology upon a choice that a human makes, I think you have to come back and, and take a serious look at the scriptures. But, but again, I, I would really, um, I go back to, uh, I believe it's Romans 11.32, where um, Paul says that God has uh, turned all people over to disobedience so that he might have mercy upon all. And for me, I, I, that's, that's one of the passages I guess I cling to throughout all of the uh, confusion that can arise when we're trying to interpret these things. Well, Kevin, we truly, truly appreciate your being with us for this uh, this program and the last time a few weeks ago. Thanks so much. Oh, thank you. I really appreciate the chance to be on the show. And, uh, folks, you want to get the DVD Hellbound, the documentary by Kevin Miller. You can go to hellbound.storenvy.com forward slash. Type in Christian questions into the discount box code, and you can get free shipping on that DVD. It's something that every Christian household should have. Folks, let's let's think about it this way. 
The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. I think that's the message of the gospel, that's the message of the scriptures, and that's what we have to hang on to as Christians when we look at the Bible. For Jonathan and and Rick and Christian Questions and our special guest Kevin Miller, Miller, we're glad you've joined us today. We'll have another subject for you next week, but till then, are most people really hellbound? Really, really, really think about it.